Well, good morning, everyone, and I want to start this morning with a, with really with an announcement uh, or a pronouncement that uh, that you are the answer. And you may ask me, well, if I'm the answer, what's the question? Uh, and it's not really a question, but it is a request, a prayer, a petition. And so the question that I have for you, do you realize that you may be the answer to someone's prayer? Someone who's praying for the salvation of a family member or a friend or a work colleague, uh, a prayer for perhaps salvation of a, of a nation, a people group or a tribe. Perhaps it's even your own prayers. Um, a prayer to, to help those who are poor and, and needy, who are suffering, the, the outcasts, the homeless, who calls to our Lord for help. Uh, you are the answer. You are the answer. And so this morning we continue our look in Matthew the Gospel of Matthew, that presents Jesus as the King, as the Christ. And we saw that in chapter 1, that he presented some legal affirmations, uh, that he was born in the kingly line, the King of David. In chapter 2, that he provided some prophetic affirmations, prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus specifically around his birth. We read about his divine affirmation when Jesus was baptized. The Father, a voice out of heaven, said that he declared Jesus to be his well-pleasing son. Um, there was the spiritual affirmation in that he overcame the temptations of the devil in the wilderness. Uh, a theological affirmation in the sense that he preached the kingdom and the righteousness of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7. And then in chapters 8 to 9, we've been looking at the supernatural affirmations, uh, really Jesus performing many miracles, miracles that displayed and really uh, provided proof that he is uh, the Messiah, that he is the Christ. Uh, he had authority over disease, over death, over demons, and, and over nature. And so this morning we come to Matthew 9, verse 35. If you there in your Bibles, uh, just follow along as I read uh, Matthew 9, verse 35. Um, it reads as follows. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned the twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you, Lord, with ears willing to listen, Lord, with hearts, desiring to respond, Lord, as you move us, as you prompt us, as you lead us by your Spirit. Um, Lord, as we come, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes your Word alive to us, who enlighten our eyes to see and to understand and to believe. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we read in this passage that Jesus was continuing his ministry and um, going from, from city to and villages and, and really um, saw a great need, um, looking at the people and seeing a great need uh, for more, 
need because there were a lack of of uh, workers, a lack of shepherds. And so he commanded to them to pray, and then he sent his 12 disciples into the harvest. And so we'll, from this passage, we'll, we'll look and see really uh, the ministry of, of Jesus, the ministry of the king, and uh, really serves as a model for ministry. Uh, then there's the concern of the king uh, that uh, he saw people distressed and dispirited uh, because of a lack of shepherds. And he, he, we see the prayer, the prayer request of the king, really the command of the king for us to pray for more kingdom workers. And then we see the answer from the king uh, in sending out the 12 disciples and by doing so making them apostles. And so let's look first at the ministry of the king. In verse 35, Jesus was going through all the villages, cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Uh, and so really we can summarize this Jesus uh, ministry as uh, that he reached out, that he speak out and that he acted out. Um, and so first of all, just he reached out in the sense that he went to all the cities and the villages. He was going through them, and as there were synagogues, he would teach and preach in their synagogues. Uh, now, teaching and preaching is, is uh, uh, very close in meaning, but it's not precise. Teaching is more the idea of, of instruction, of imparting knowledge, where, where preaching is also instruction, but also added to that is an exhortation for for the listener to to act on that, and he was going through uh, reaching out uh, to the people through teaching uh, and and preaching, and he went to the synagogues. Really, a synagogue just means assembly. It could be a place or a group of people, and the synagogues were were places where the Jewish people would meet for for worship, for prayer, uh, really for for instruction in the law, for teaching their children. It serves as, as sort of a little school. Um, and it also served as a court of law where scribes and, and, and lawyers would adjudicate between disputes based on the, the law of, of Moses. And synagogue worship really started around the Babylonian or after the Babylonian exile um, and the destruction of the temple. And really by the time of Jesus, there were synagogues all over the Roman Empire. It, it, it was needed about 10 Jewish men to, to make up a synagogue, to begin a synagogue. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, or point to is that Jesus came to save sinners and he first came to his own people. Uh, the Jewish nation, and he went to where he knew he would find them, to the synagogues, where they would congregate in the synagogues. And he was seeking out people. He was active. He was not passive. He was not merely waiting for them to come to him, but he reached out to them. He went where they were, and so we see that in Jesus' ministry that can serve as a model to us that we need to go. And that's the, the, the command that the Lord has given us. Go and make disciples of all nations. Don't wait for them to come to you. There is an active part that we are to play in going out. Jesus reached out to his people. He also spoke out. Um, he was teaching and preaching the, the, the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom, as I said, was, is, is basically virtually the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I say virtually because just a different emphasis, perhaps. We who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ preach him as already crucified, preach him as the one who came and gave his life to redeem sinners uh, for God to reconcile us unto God, and, and to, pro to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom was really focusing on what was to come. Uh, so it was most likely uh, teaching and preaching regarding the Old Testament prophecies of the kingdom that was, that was promised to Israel and the Messiah that was to come. 
Um, and uh, so the focus is, is a little more on the, on the Old Testament prophecy. There would be a, would have been teaching, I suppose, from if you take the book of Isaiah, chapter nine and chapter eleven, talking about the one that the Lord will, a child will be born unto us, uh, would be one of those passages, and and then how uh, this this person would be really a spirit filled, a spirit anointed person. We will read of the servant songs that we read in. Uh, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, speaking of the Messiah as God's servant who will be gentle. He will not uh, broker a bruised reed. He will not snuff out a dimly lit uh, uh, wick. And he will bring forth justice and righteousness and peace. And he will offer himself a sacrifice for the sin of his people. He will bore their grief and their sorrows. He will be stricken and smitten by God, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, chastised and scourged for our healing. It was God was pleased to crush him if he offers himself a guilt offering. And this had not happened as Jesus was preaching this. This was about to happen and that's why Jesus said repent and believe because the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is about to take place uh, and so the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom was really a message of salvation a message of intercession a message of judgment a message of uh, rule and restoration Christ will come and rule over Israel but not over only over Israel over all the nations of the earth as Psalm Two reminds us, and also Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah 4 teaches us. And so Jesus came reaching out, speaking out, and also acting out. Jesus acted out in love, out of compassion. He acted out of care and concern. Repeatedly the gospel record for us the compassion Jesus had for people. Um, and compassion was not merely a, a an emotional response. It was uh, compassion is is that emotional response that moves you to action. It moved him to do something about the situation, and he came and he healed every kind of disease and sickness. We read elsewhere of of how of, often of how Jesus' compassion. Uh, was on display in Matthew fourteen fourteen. He saw a large crowd, and it says, and he felt compassion for them, healing the sick. Matthew fifteen thirty two. Jesus felt compassion for those who followed him for three days, and had no food to eat, and so he fed them four thousand of them miraculously. Jesus felt compassion in Matthew twenty thirty four on the two blind men who came to him and wanted to be healed, and and they. Jesus felt compassion for them and healed them. Uh, And so in doing so, he acted as the benevolent king that was prophesied in the Old Testament. The coming Messiah was going to be a physician. And the characteristics of his kingdom was going to be very different from what we experience to now. The kingdom would be an amazing place where there will be justice and righteousness and peace. There would also be a time of great spiritual as well as physical restoration. Uh, the kingdom would be marked by significant changes in nature and that sickness and death would almost be banished from that kingdom, at least in the millennial kingdom and definitely in the eternal state. And so Jesus, the king, by exercising his authority over nature, by exercising authority over disease and over demons, really provided proof that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, the long-awaited king, and that people should repent and believe because the king is at hand. The kingdom is here. And we saw, we saw as Jesus was ministering that he... We're looking at the people, and he had a great concern. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without the shepherd. Jesus was looking at people, not just on surface level. He observed them. He discerned their circumstances. He was attentive to their needs 
Not only their felt need, but their real need. He saw them being distressed. He saw them being troubled, worried, concerned, wearied, heavy laden. Not just physically, but through spiritual circumstances. He also saw them dispirited, that they were discouraged, dejected, despairing. Why? For they had no shepherd. They had no one to shepherd them. The religious leaders of that time, the shepherds of the day, were more concerned about their prominence and their prestige and their position and their power than they were for the people. And so Jesus really, well, we find in Scripture that God is described to us as a shepherd in Psalm 23. A shepherd is the one who leads his people, who feeds his people, who protects his people. And the Lord has, has given under shepherds throughout biblical history who would lead his people, feed his people, protect his people. Men like Moses, men like Samuel, men like David, and all the religious leaders that was raised up throughout uh, the Bible's history. And yet Jesus saw here people being distressed and dispirited because they had no shepherd. No one to lead them. No one who would feed them the word of God. No one who would protect them. The shepherds of Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were hypocritical and were self-serving. As I said, more concerned about their own position than the spiritual condition of the people of God. And this was often the case. This was actually, if you look throughout the history of, of, of Israel, this often happened. The, the, the prophets often rebuked the leaders, the shepherds of Israel. We read of the prophet Micaiah who prophesied uh, the death of King Ahab and that that would result in the Israel being scattered on the hills. We read that in Kings 22. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 34, really wrote against many of the false prophets who did not care for the flock, but only for themselves, also resulting in the flock or the sheep being scattered all over the world with no one to look for them, no one to go after them. Jeremiah 23 pronounced a woe, a a condemnation against the shepherds of Israel, uh, and, and then prophesied that the Lord himself would come and will gather his flock together again to shepherd them. And in Zechariah, Zechariah denounced the wicked shepherds of Israel and even predicted the death of the good shepherd who was to come. In Zechariah 13, 7, which is a verse that Jesus quote on the night of his uh, arrest, he says that this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now the king, Jesus, saw the people distressed and dispirited, and he was concerned for the people. For they were without a servant, uh, sorry, a shepherd. And Jesus announced in John 10 that he is the good shepherd who came to lay down his life to make the ultimate sacrifice by being crucified on the cross. But before he reached that point, every day he sacrificed himself in serving others. He did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. He came teaching the people the truth of God, his will and his ways, feeding them by teaching, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He did not run away like the hired, like a hired help who did not care for the sheep. No, he stood his ground, he stood his ground against the religious leaders, the wolves of that day, and ultimately sacrificing himself for the well-being of his flock. And he came and lifted the heavy burdens, the heavy burdens the, the religious leaders laid on the people at that time, calling them to say, come, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me because I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. And really people, we, we all need a shepherd. We all need the Lord as our shepherd, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd. And he has given us under shepherds, under shepherds who gives oversight to the flock, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for sordid gain, but eagerly, not lording it over others, but proving to be examples to the flock. We all need a human under shepherd that will continually point us to Christ. Perhaps that's a pastor, a grace group leader, a father at home, a godly mature Christian friend, remind us of who he is. So many of our concerns and trouble would just melt away when we truly know who he is, who we worship, what he is like, and what he has done, and who we are in him, and that he is coming again. We need shepherds that would encourage us to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To put on the full armor of God and to stand firm, not to become distressed and dispirited. And so this concern that the Lord had, he saw the people in distress and being dispirited because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That prompted him to really ask for prayer which is an interesting thought, the prayer request of the king. And he said to his disciples, the harvest, this is verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. When the harvest is plentiful, that means there were many ripe for the kingdom, many through the providence of God, the circumstances he allowed in people's lives that readied them that ripened them for the gospel, that when they hear the gospel of the kingdom, gospel of, of Jesus Christ, they would respond. They would come to repentance and faith. But there were few workers to usher them in. Now, every Christian is a worker in the kingdom. Send by God into his harvest. That may be the harvest of your family circle, the harvest of your workplace, the harvest of your friends, the harvest of your neighborhood, the harvest of your community. Sends us to be witnesses of him, of his grace, of his truth, of the life that is found in him. He sends us to be salt and light for the kingdom. To have an influence, in a righteous influence on those around us. He sends us to be ambassadors for God. Seeking to reconcile the loss to God through Christ. But here I think Jesus specifically had full-time workers in mind. Those who would go into full-time Ministry, And I say that for the following reasons. First of all, Jesus' example of his ministry, the way that he reached out and speak out and act out, really going from village and city to village and city, preaching and teaching, that was a full-time occupation for Jesus and his disciples. His concern was for a lack of shepherds, those who would lead, feed, and protect the flock. In chapter 10, Jesus did not send all his followers out. He sent the 12 out, those whom he have discipled, those whom he have prepared and equipped, and now authorized to go 
and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And we read later on in chapter 10 verse 9 that they should, uh, they should not acquire gold or, or silver or copper for their money belts, that they should not uh, take two coats or sandals or a staff. Why? Because the worker is worthy of his wages. They were to be supported in their ministry, in their work. Uh, but don't think that you can switch off now, that this does not apply to you. Uh, it applies to all of us. Um, it may not be that you are a full-time worker, but all that we will talk about here is applicable to every Christian. And the command here for us is to pray, beseech, implore, plea with the Lord of the harvest, asking the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. And Jesus meant it to those who were in his immediate hearing, and he meant it for us today. This is his prayer request. More than a prayer request, his command to pray. Pray for more kingdom workers. For more ministers, for more missionaries, for more manpower in the harvest of his fields. And as you pray, consider if perhaps you are the answer to that prayer. A worker sent by God who will reach out, speak out, and act out as the king did. There is a dire need for workers, for those who would be willing to forego their comforts, their focus perhaps on the things of this life, to invest themselves in the life to come to invest themselves in the kingdom. There is, however, an important observation to make here. It says there, the harvest is the Lord's, and He is the one who sends the workers. It is not just about the numbers. That is important. But it has to be the right kind of worker. It has to be a worker sent by God. Not a self-appointed worker. You see, a self-appointed worker not sent by God, they may enter into the harvest. But when the heat of the day comes, the difficulty of the task the stresses and strains of, of working in the harvest come, they will abandon the harvest and go home to their comforts and to the ease of life. Or perhaps, as many of the false shepherds have done in the past, they would abandon the flock when the wolves and other dangers threaten them. They will not stand. They will not fight. They will not give their life for the flock. But the workers sent by God won't abandon the harvest, the difficult times, nor shrink back from the battle when the wolves turn up and the fighting gets fierce. They'll stand firm. They'll fight fierce for they love the Lord of the harvest and they love the harvest of the Lord. They love their chief shepherd and they love his flock. And they know and love the truth and know this is the bread of life for the sheep. And they know and love the truth because they can wield it against the wolves. This is God's double-edged sword for protection. And so the king's prayer request is for us to pray Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Send more workers, Lord, into the harvest. 
And so we are to pray frequently. We are to pray fervently. We are to pray faithfully. And as we pray, we need to consider carefully. Is this me? Is the Lord sending me? Is He calling me to be prepared, to get equipped, so that He can authorize me to go? And the Lord answers His own prayer request as He sees the great need. We read that in chapter 10. He summoned His disciples and He sanctioned them to go. Verse 10 reads, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles were first Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So we read, first of all, that Jesus summoned his disciples, those who have come, those who have been following him, those whom he have discipled. And, and reading through that and doing a little bit of study on, on each of them is, is fascinating. And now we won't be able to do an in-depth study on them today. There, there are a number of books available. One, I think that John MacArthur wrote, 12 Ordinary Men, which is just, it is an extraordinary book. But here we will see that they are, or they were, but ordinary men. But they worship an extraordinary God. They were discipled by Christ. They were empowered by His Spirit. They were controlled by the love of Christ. Simon and, and, and uh, Andrew were brothers from Bethsaida. Both were fishermen. Simon was, was, was a leader. He was considered, could be considered the first among equals of the disciples. And of all the disciples, we know the most of him, uh, knows the most about him. He was the one who once walked on water towards Jesus, at least for a short period or a few steps. He was the one who confessed Christ to be the son of the living God. And Jesus changed his name to Peter, translated as Rocky. And said, on this bedrock of a confession, I will build my church. Moments later, Peter rebuked Jesus when he said that he had to come and suffer and die and be raised again. And then Peter got rebuked by Jesus stunningly. When he said to him, get behind me, Satan, for he heard the voice of Satan tempting him not to go to the cross, but to receive the kingdom another way. He was also the one who refused, initially at least, for Jesus to wash his feet. And then when he heard that if Jesus did not wash his feet, that he would have no part of him, he said, Lord, not only my feet, everything. He loved Christ. He was the one who chopped off Malchus' ear, the, the high priest servant, at the, the arrest of Jesus. Only moments later, hours later, to deny Christ three times, calling down curses upon himself. He was the one who Jesus restored to ministry and say, Feed my flock, tend to my lambs. And he became a foundational leader in the early church. At the preaching of, uh, at his preaching on Pentecost, 3,000 people came to salvation. The first church in Jerusalem was a mega church. And the book of Acts records his work in the harvest of the Lord and his two letters written for us, first and second Peter, records really his shepherd's heart and his love for the Lord and for the flock of God. According to tradition, he was crucified upside down at his own request, for he did not see or consider himself worthy to die in the same way as his Lord had. 
all the while exhorting his wife who was crucified with him, telling her to remember the Lord. Andrew, his brother, did not have such a prominent role. But what I love about Andrew is he was what you would call a true pointer and fetcher. He would always point people to the Lord. He would always bring people to the Lord. Uh, we read that, that, that uh, Peter is the one, well, Andrew is the one who brought Peter to the Lord. Uh, then he brought the young boy with the five barley loaves and the two fish when everybody was hungry and nobody knew what to do. He just, I don't know, this is what we have, so I'm just going to bring him to Jesus. And then there were two, there were, there were some certain Greeks that wanted to see Jesus and Andrew was the one who brought them to Jesus. He was a true pointer and fetcher, pointing people to Jesus and bringing him, them to him. And according to tradition, he went to the land of the man-eaters. Uh, that is now current Soviet Union, or that region at least. Christians there claim that he was the one who first brought the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey and Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. John and James, another set of brothers, uh, also fishermen, uh, but from a, quite a wealthy family. Uh, they were an interesting pair. Uh, James is probably the older of the two because they was also always mentioned first. And they came from a prominent, as I said, uh, ambitious family. Mum was sort of pulling Jesus aside and, and was advocating for her sons to, to gain great positions of honor in the kingdom. Um, they were also, I, I suppose, a fiery ca- character or loud character. I don't know. They were called the son of Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. So I don't think they were tame people. Uh, they were also the ones who wanted to call down fire from the heavens so that the Lord would toast the Samaritans who did not receive him into their village. Of course, we read in Acts 12 that James was beheaded by Herod the same time when Peter was imprisoned with him and really was was uh, saved by the Lord by sending an angel at the fervent intercession of the church. John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved as he describes himself, the younger of the two brothers, uh, is the only apostle generally to believe who have who died of natural causes, the natural death of old, from old age. He was a church leader in Ephesus. Uh, he was the one who took care of Mary, Jesus' mother, after the crucifixion. And during the Domitian persecution in the middle of the 90s, he, he tells us that he escaped uh, Apparently unheard from uh, from a boil being cast in boiling oil, and then was outcast or exiled to Patmos, the island Patmos, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Philip, his name means lover of horses, which may indicate us what he did before he became a disciple. He was also from Bethsaida. And he was the one who brought Nathaniel to the Lord. Uh, tradition has it that he had a powerful mis- a ministry in Carthage in, in North Africa and in Asia Minor. And he converted a wife of a Roman proconsul uh, who in retaliation arrested Philip and basically cruelly put him to death. Bartholomew also believed to be Nathaniel was from Cana in Galilee, where Jesus did the miracle of, of changing water into wine. Um, an honest and unpretentious man, a man in whom there is no deceit, Jesus said. And tradition has it that he traveled widely on mission missionary journeys, as far as India with Thomas, and back to Armenia, and also in, into Ethiopia and southern Arabia. And there are various accounts that he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. Thomas, also called Didymus, also called Doubting Thomas for doubting that the Lord 
was raised to life and wanted to see the marks in his hands and in his side and wanted to put his finger in his hand in his wounds. But then also made this profound confession which says, when he saw Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. And tradition has it that he was most active in east of, of an area east of Syria and preaching as far as India. Uh, there are ancient Mathoma Christians who revered him as their founder. And they claim that he died when he was pierced through with spears by four soldiers. Matthew, the tax collector, who his conversion we, we read about earlier in chapter 9. He is the writer of the gospel we're studying. And he ministered in Persia, in Ethiopia. Some of the oldest records say that he was not martyred, while others say that he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphys. Um, Interesting enough, uh, Matthew's father's name was also Alpheus. Matthew, the tax collector's father. And so that means if it is the same Alpheus that we're talking about, then this would be the third pair of brothers that we have among Jesus' disciples. But tradition has it that, that James ministered in Syria, and the historian Josephus uh, reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death for the gospel. Thaddeus, well, we know almost nothing about Thaddeus. Um, Thaddeus means beloved. Um, he was probably also called Judas. Judas, not Iscariot, as, as, as John 14, 22 tells us, when he asked the question, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And that was in response when Jesus announced to them that he was going to go away, but that he will send the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that as they, and that the Spirit really would reveal Christ to him or to them. Simon the Zealot, the Zealots were a party of nationalists, insurrectionists really, who sought to overthrow the Roman occupation through violent means. Uh, so Simon the Zealot probably refers to his previous political associations and also perhaps to distinguish him from Simon Peter. Tradition has it that he ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to their son God. And finally we have Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is probably a reference to the place where he was from called Kerioth. He was the treasurer of the group but he was a dishonest man who objected to the apparent waste of costly perfumed oil when Mary used it to anoint Jesus' feet. He also helped himself from the communal purse, and ultimately he betrayed Jesus to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. He committed suicide by hanging himself in remorse without clear evidence that he ever repented. And so these are the men that Jesus had and that he sent out. Ordinary men that was transformed by an extraordinary God to go to places and to be willing to give their lives, not only in the living of their lives, but literally dying for Christ and the gospel so that others would hear. And so these are the ones he summoned and he sanctioned them. Jesus as the king, as the Christ, had the authority over demons, over disease, over death. And he gave this authority to his disciples to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so the prayer was for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest, and here the king is sending his disciples. Authorized workers, equipped workers, enabled workers into the harvest. They were the ones who were willing. They were the ones who were available, who made themselves available. They are the ones who 
counted the cost. Remember back in, in Matthew 8, verse 18 to 22, where Jesus talked about the cost of discipling or disciples or for being a disciple of him. And so their ministry began here with Jesus on earth when he sent them out. But the fullness of their ministry as God intended really only came to fruition after Jesus was as, as ascended to heaven and after the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Uh, they received power from on high to be witnesses where in Judea, sorry, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the authority to perform these miracles are not to be considered normative for us today. Really, these are uh, sign gifts that proved them to be apostles of Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 12 tells us that these miraculous gifts were given as a proof to show that they are the apostles. And apostles mean a sent one from the Lord. And, and who is an apostle? We read that in Acts 1. It's those who have been taught by the Lord themselves, who have seen the resurrected Christ and have been sent out by Him. And so, just in conclusion, an application perhaps, Jesus Christ our Savior, our King, ask for prayer. He's making a prayer request to us. He's commanding us to pray. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest. Are we obeying this command? Or are we saying, yes, Lord, I will pray for you, like we do for so many, and then completely forget to do it? Are we praying for this? And are we considering that if perhaps you are the answer to this prayer, to be a minister of the gospel, a missionary unto people, manpower to bring in his harvest, because the concern is great, the need is real, and the command is urgent. And so if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are controlled by the love of Christ, that's not your love for Him, that is His love for you. If that controls your life, then reach out. Be active, be intentional, be deliberate. Go out, find someone, give them the gospel, call them to repentance. Because people are in need. They don't even know what they need. They are dying. They are separated from God alienated from Him because of their sin. And we have the gospel. And Christ commands us to pray and He commands us to go. So reach out and speak out. Speak out the truth of the gospel. That man is a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That Christ is a great King and God is a Heavenly Father, a wonderful, benevolent Heavenly Father. That the Spirit is a powerful helper. And that all can be reconciled to God who repent and believe. And who believe, and those who believe will have life. Life that should be lived by faith. Entrusting yourself. To the Lord. He will take care of our needs when we commit to Him wholeheartedly. We cannot serve mammon and the Lord. And then act out. Act out in love. Jesus saw the people and He had compassion on them. 
It moved him. John 1, 3, 16 tells us, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a very, very difficult question, a confronting question. Because John is saying that if we are not compassionate and not acting on our compassion, then is there love in our hearts? The love of God in our hearts? Jesus taught the importance of expressing our faith through compassion and doing good to others. Showing kindness, showing the love of Christ to others. He speaks of a time when there would be those who come before him and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the, these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. People, James warns us that we need to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. And he tells us that we may say we have faith, but unless we have works that proves, that demonstrates our faith, our faith is useless. And so the command this morning for us is pray. Pray. Pray that the Lord would send workers. Pray that you would reach out, that you would speak out, that you would act out. And pray that the Lord would send ministers, missionaries, manpower into the harvest. And as you pray, consider that you might be the answer to that prayer. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just reminding us, Lord, of your ministry and, and Lord, that your concern, your heart for your people. Lord, there are so many that are distressed and dispirited. Lord, who have to face this sin-cursed world without Christ without knowing the gospel, without knowing the truth. And Lord, you have revealed that to us. You have made us believe it. I pray, Lord, that we would act out on it so that our faith would not be useless. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.